This is A New Angle, a show about cool people doing awesome things in and around Montana. I'm your host, Justin Angle. This show is supported by First Security Bank, Blackfoot Communications, and the University of Montana College of Business. Hey folks, welcome back, and thanks for tuning in. Today is our November edition of Incentives and Instincts, a recurring series in which I speak with economist and friend Bryce Ward about some of the broader issues facing our society. Bryce, how are you today? I'm good. Justin, how are you? I am good. Today, we are going to talk about the youth sports industrial complex. What are the goals of youth sports, and do the systems we've constructed meet those goals? To help us answer these questions, we're joined by an important stakeholder in these systems, University of Montana head men's basketball coach, Travis DeCure. Travis, thanks for being here today. Appreciate you having me. Looking forward to the conversation. Yeah. So let's just sort of start with these goals. You occupy the system at a few different levels as a parent with young children in youth sports and youth activities, but also as a coach, you're kind of a customer of the system here in a way. What do you think should be the goals of youth sports? Let's start there. From my perspective as as a young man that came through youth sports, um, I think at probably one of the better times in terms of the development of a young man, young young woman, learning to compete, mm-hmm. being a member of a team, a group, and, and fighting through adversity. I think those are the three things that would jump out the most in terms of what I hope I'm getting when I get that finished product. Bryce, how about you? What would you, from your parent perspective, what do you think should be the goals Obviously, there's an aspect when you're younger, it's just about fun, right? And, you know, cultivating a lifelong love of activity because we know that activity is important for you. But in terms of the investment portion, right? So, you know, there's just a consumption, go out, have fun. But in terms of what are we investing in? Yeah, I want you to learn how to be on a team, right? I want you to learn how to deal with adversity. You know, I want you to know how to play, right? You know, a game that you're going to play... I'm probably getting a little too old, but I still do like to play basketball. Yeah. Like it hurts a lot more than it used to, but like I made it to 46, you know, but you know, even just things like running, right. Which I can do longer or biking or, you know, all these things, right. These are things that we want to develop lifelong attachments to and the skills to be able to participate in and particularly things that are social, mm-hmm. right. Like, you know, my wife talks about, you know, why does you want our kids to know how to ski? Well, because if there's a ski weekend in college, you don't want to be like me, the kid who was like, I don't know how to ski. I was that kid. Yeah. <laughs> Beyond like sports specific skills, we want our kids, our society to have healthy minds and bodies too. There is a health component to this as well. We need kids to move around. We need grownups that move around. But I don't think we'd be having this conversation if the three of us didn't sort of uh, think that something was wrong with the system. So maybe, Travis, from your standpoint, like, what are some of the failure points in in this system? And, and we're using system broadly. I mean, every sport, every activity is a little bit different, and there's a ton of regional variation. But I think when I think of the system, I think of kind of this privatization of youth sports in a lot of ways, club soccer, club basketball, kids opting out of their public school programs, public schools divesting of some of these programs and private systems, filling that gap and maybe creating some other challenges. So what would you, how would you respond to that framing? Back to Bryce's question, the competitive portion was the other one. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. and, and I think that that's what's gone away. I, I remember as an eighties baby, walking to the park after school and hanging out all day and, and my parents coming and finding me 
on the playground, whether we're playing football, whether we're playing basketball. Mm-hmm. And there are a lot of other games that we created with balls so that everybody could play, right? Flyers up with a football. We weren't necessarily playing football. We were just playing with a football. Sure. I, I think that those activities don't necessarily exist anymore unless it's in PE at school. And and I think when you when you play those games, you learn to compete without an adult managing the situation. And and so now you're problem solving, you're competing in a lot of different ways, not only in sport, but you know, your personality, you're, you're growing, your leaders are born, I think on the playground. Hmm. Um, and, and so I think that aspect has gone away. And, and then I think the thought that you can buy success, I think that as we become specialized in every sport, now we're paying for opportunities and those who can generate the money to pay have more opportunities. When when I grew up, it was community centers. You played for whatever team was in your neighborhood. And now, you know, I get back in 94 after graduating and the community centers are no more. And everyone's on an AAU team, which becomes the specialization. In order to play for that team, you pretty much have to play year-round, which means you can't play multiple sports unless you're just an elite athlete. Yeah, you kind of feel like, and as a parent, you feel like your children are getting left behind if they don't take this step and kind of enter this privatized system. Bryce, how, how would you sort of think about this? I mean, what I think about is kind of the funnel metaphor. Like if we're trying to create the highest level of talent, the highest level of preparedness for life's challenges – you would want to start with a system that has as big a funnel as possible. But as Travis is describing, we have we now have systems where if you don't have the right money and the right parents that can drive you around or the right resources, you're kind of opting out from the jump and you're left out. In an ideal world, we would I could reach inside of you and see exactly what your ceiling is, what right. your athletic ceiling for different sports is, right? And be like, oh, hey, you have this potential, great, where you can cultivate it and all this kind of stuff. But we don't have that technology. And so what we did do is we see what people are producing, right? So one of the actually the, you know, this is a little bit of a sideline, but like one of the most consistent findings, I think we've studied every sport in the world now. There's different calendar years in sports. And whoever's at the older end of whatever yeah. the cutoff is, yeah. is more likely to become, quote, reach whatever the higher level is. It's because you were older as an eight-year-old when the difference between January and December is a large proportion of your life at that point, mm-hmm. right? So the older kids get picked for the elite clubs. They get on a different track, right? We're leaving this talent from, you know, the bottom part behind. Well, now we add, I love this term that I, I sent you an article about this from the Washington Post a while ago about financial doping. Yes. Affluent parents can buy their way into a higher level at a younger age. We've always had some level of this, right? But, you know, sports like basketball and soccer are essentially open to everybody because there's a public place where you can play and a ball isn't that expensive. But, you know, we now have this system that silos. And so what do we see? We see less participation amongst low-income kids, you know, high, much higher rates of participation among high-income kids. Are, is that because high-income kids are the most talented kids? No. Right. So we're leaving this potential pool of talent behind because they're not scrambling up the ladder. And worse, it's actually bad for us. Not only is it just unequal and unfair, but the, all this specialization, we now have so much evidence, is bad for the kids. Yeah. The injury rates from specialization are bad for them. They burn out. It's bad for them. Travis, Bryce gave us a nice description of some of the the, the research finding and trends here. How does that align with kind of your experience of, of 
you know, evaluating this talent that's coming in your way over time? Have you noticed changes in preparedness and, and outcomes? Two things jump out from what he was saying as he's talking that I'm thinking is, is one is the specialization and a, and a young man or young girl that's birthdays later might be a little older. Mario Bailey jumps to mind, played wide receiver at University of Washington from first grade to, to 10th grade, dominant in basketball but only grew to 5'8", five, 5'9". Five, mm. If he were growing up in this era, everyone would have banked on him being an NBA basketball player, and we might not have ever seen him on the football field in high school to turn into the wide receiver he turned into. Yeah. Right? And his life outcomes, a lot different. Co- correct. And and then the other piece, the playground piece, which I think is, the, is one of the, the biggest pieces that, that's missing, social skills. We're raising kids right now with with cell phones, which we didn't have, video games, which very few of us had. So we have a lot of things taken away our free time, and we're not using it socially to find ways to interact with other kids in our neighborhoods or whatnot. So instead of going outside, we're in the house. But we probably could communicate with five or six other kids and never hear their voice. Mm -hmm. And so when you lack those social skills that are necessary to organize and, and, and create opportunities to go out and, 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 and be active, that minimizes the growth. Social skills require tone of voice, reading facial expressions, reading body language. There was always a game. I mean, I remember playing pickup, you know, it's Southern Oregon, so it's not as cold as here, but like on December 30th, when it's 35 degrees outside, sure. we're outside playing pickup basketball at Long Ridge Park. Right. Like, you know, and... Pick up, talk about learning social skills, yeah. right? You get thrown on a team, right? You got to figure out where you're, what my role on this team is. Someone's got to be kind of the leader on that team. Someone's got to keep the game organized. Like it's all self-organized and we have just thrown that away. See, that brings another point because all of those things you just talked about are earned. You earn that within mm-hmm. your group, right? Rainier Beach Community Center where I grew up, there's three courts, Right. And and one, the middle court kind of overlaps on the two outside courts. So after school from about two thirty to about seven, the gym is just wide open, kids coming and going. And so if you can imagine about twenty kids on the far court, which are the younger kids, probably not as developed, probably not as good, playing games and and who's got next and kind of organizing who's your team and, and whatnot. And then you've got a main court when you first walk in, which is the older kids. Those are the high school kids, maybe a couple guys, 18 to 21. But then you've got, you've got some young kids that might be good enough to play with them. And then the middle baskets, we'd play 21. And so if you felt you didn't really want to play on the other court, mm-hmm. you were trying to get on the big boy court, you'd stay and play 21 and keep yourself available Show off. to fill in. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And, and so you'd have 20 kids in a middle hoop playing 21 which is a very physical game <laughs> right? it's a bloodbath trying to win a game to 21 and we'd play low man burn so whoever had the lowest score <laughs> right you gotta go stand under the hoop and they throw the ball at you and then you play again well, you can't do that nowadays but the level of competitiveness that it took in that environment and there's no adults yeah and you're trying to earn the right to get on the main court so there's no one controlling it saying well my kid's good enough let my kid play or whatnot you're waiting for the opportunity. Maybe shop and, for a different club where my kid right, can play. Right. You might show up early with the ball, and maybe you're the guy with the ball, and you can play the first couple games before everybody else gets there or whatever. But you've got to find a way to be successful where you want to be successful as, as opposed to someone 
creating opportunities for you. Yeah, what you're describing there, I mean, you, let's stay on the competitiveness thread for a moment because from the parent's perspective, I'm sure a lot of parents think that they are being as competitive as possible by you know, getting their child enrolled in the, the, the right club and access to tryouts and access to coaching and specializing. But what it seems like an outcome of these behaviors is they're undermining competitiveness. They're taking their child out of competitive situations to be competitive on his or her own. And in a way, it's like like you climbed the ladder and then pulled it up behind you because our children are not getting the competitive reps that they used to. One of the things that I think we're missing is it's intrinsic motivation, mm. right? This, you know, this ability to just be motivated to do it on your own and then to solve the problem on your own. The idea is now, particularly if you're an affluent parent, is, oh, my kid isn't doing that very well. Well, let me get a private coach who can work with them and we can, you know, we, we, can, we can see the thing that they're not doing right. I can see it because I'm an adult and I played a lot of sports and so I know, oh, you're positioning isn't your fitness isn't right your shooting isn't good right like let me just take some money and you know instead of just saying well if you want to figure it out there's the hoop and there's a ball like it's well let me drive you across town and we'll get you a private session or a session with a group of people and you'll shoot and play and you'll get better and you will get better but you're missing some of this my rule has always been i don't want to spend a ton of money on a sport until i see you doing it on your own Right. That was kind of my threshold. Right. I wanted to see you in the backyard throwing the football or in the backyard kicking the soccer ball or. Yeah. Is Annie sleeping with her soccer ball? You know, we're not yet (laughs) sleeping with the soccer ball, but she does kick it around all the time. Yeah. Like it's it's the same problem it was at my house. She literally just kicks the ball all day long inside the house. Right. (laughs) I want to see you showing me you're interested and then fine. Like, yeah, we can talk about it. But I ultimately would love to see you going out and playing pickup. Uh, on your own, but I don't know if they, ha- they they just don't even know how. We'll be back to our conversation with Bryce Ward and Travis DeCure after this short break. A New Angle is supported by First Security Bank, Blackfoot Communications, and UM's College of Business. Access to capital, broadband, and education are three ingredients any community needs for success. Hey, this is Mark Moss from Tell Us Something, and you're listening to A New Angle. Welcome back to A New Angle. I'm speaking with Bryce Ward and Travis DeCure about the youth sports industrial complex. There's a level of responsibility for your own success. And, and that's, I feel like, what you're describing right now. And that doesn't exist. It, it's, you've, you've got young men and women that, like you say, as a parent, I might pay someone to train them as opposed to them going to work on that skill on their own from time to time. Um, but, but the same thing with the competitiveness in terms of where your status is on a team. You know, as a Division One basketball player, I reflect on my high school career a lot with these young men. As, as, as a freshman, I played on a sophomore team. We had four teams, freshman, sophomore, JV, varsity. And I played on a sophomore team as a, sophomore, as a freshman. JV, I went back and forth JV, varsity, and basically sat the bench on varsity as a sophomore. Today... Today's parent, my father might have pulled me and put me in another school in mm. another situation where maybe I could start as a freshman or at least be on varsity as a freshman because everyone's under the assumption if you don't play varsity as a freshman, you can't play Division One basketball. Okay. If I'm not forced to compete within the program and earn my status, I'll never learn to compete later. 
And what do I find myself when I transfer in here um, from a Division II program to Division I at University of Montana as a sophomore? I felt I was the best point guard in the program. My coaches thought differently. I played 20 minutes a game and came off the bench, and my role was defined in, in, in ways that maybe I didn't agree with. But I had a father that said, hey, make the most of it and go earn more. Yeah, you got to navigate that on your own. That doesn't exist anymore. And, and if you look, the NBA, the NFL um, are two bad examples in terms of making the most of what you have and creating the situation you want by working on it, your development and changing the things that maybe are keeping you from being successful, whether it's getting stronger or skill development or maybe just your attitude. And it's trickling down. I'm getting high school transcripts where kids are three, four high schools. And it's movement because we're not happy with what's going on on the court. It might not be academics. It might be that we love the coach, but he's not getting enough playing time on the varsity. The kid comes to me and he's not playing in the role he wants. And we have a man-to-man conversation about what he needs to do to earn that role. He's never had anyone tell him that before. Sure. So what's he want to do? Find a new school. So you're having to reteach or, or teach for the first time a lot of lessons that the system used to impart earlier on. How do you kind of construct your talent evaluation and identification so that you're able to observe some of that competitiveness, some of those social skills in the recruiting process? We're in an evolving state right now. And, and what I mean is there was a point in time where I used to pull transcripts and if there was more than one school on it I didn't recruit okay I spent more time watching them with their high school team than I did with their AAU team because usually the high school coach is the one that created a level of adversity whether it was do things the way that you're supposed to do them or come out execution out of timeouts the way they practice competitive environments and those types of things whereas with AAU teams most of them don't practice because the kids come from so many different areas and it's becoming more difficult to create that because they're moving so much that now these coaches are coaching young men that they don't know very well. Okay. So they don't have those types of relationships and it's just very difficult to find those transcripts. So I still revert to that and I try to find as many of those young men as possible. And you just try to look for a level of toughness, but it's tough. And and, and the reason is, is that it's encouraged now to transfer. It's yeah. encouraged to quit and move on. So it's harder to find young men and young women that haven't done that before because it's 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 so common. It's it's hard. It's very difficult right now and that's why there's, you know, so much movement, but we just have to keep working. So are players better off with all the movement? 46% of the Division 1 basketball players that went into the transfer portal last year have not found a school. So 46%. So the answer is no. And are they, they're, they're not allowed to go back to their former program? Like once you go into the pool, are you kind of done? And well, most schools are going to move on. Yeah, you're, exactly. You're in the portal. You're going to fill that looking seat. looking for another school. We've got to fill that spot. We can't wait for you to no. make a decision and then make a decision. And you've already told your current program you don't want to be there. A good percentage of the time, that young man or young woman didn't handle it right. Yeah. They didn't walk into your office and, and look you in the eye and say, Coach, I just feel like I need a different opportunity for these reasons. Mm-hmm. I'm grateful for the for the opportunity you gave me, but th- this is what I need for me moving forward, whether it's academically, whether it's socially, whether it's basketball, whatever that rationale is. I might not agree with it, but if you came to me man to man and had a conversation with me, I would think a lot differently about the decision you made and how you, because a lot of times they don't make these decisions on their own anyway. Sure. But a lot of these kids are just walking away with no communication. So it's very difficult Oof. to take them back at that point in time. 
talk about lack of social skills, man. Right. Like, yeah. Back that's to the same hard, topic. And if you it's hadn't learned those lessons, you're not going to be prepared. But, you know, I mean, just, I mean, has anybody tracked this and said, okay, look, I mean, the idea here is, is that like, it's, you know, we have person, we have situation. I just got to keep shuffling the situations and then I find the one that magically works, right? And what Travis has been saying is that the old school way was situation situation. Right. You've got to adapt yourself into the situation, which is a very valuable skill in life. Right. But mm-hmm. like the question is, is, well, look, do I get better matches? If I shuffle around, do I actually find something better? Or, you know, am I just permanently debilitating myself because I haven't learned this key skill and I never find a situation that's good enough because it turns out that it was me that was flawed all along. When you raise your child, right, when your child has their first job, you're going to tell your child you, you should never quit a job until you know you have a job. You, you should never be unemployed. Well, a lot of these young men and women are, are quitting their job and they don't have a job. It, it's unfortunate that, that you have a lot of people that are quitting on a situation because they're not having success and they don't have someone at home saying, well, if you're not playing there and you don't have a resume, which are stats, you don't have a resume that says you're employable, right? why would you ever put yourself in the free agent market? Why wouldn't you stay where they're paying for your education and get the most out of it and move on? They're not being taught that because, or else they wouldn't make some of the decisions that they're making. There are a lot of young men and women that are jumping in these portals and transferring and, and waving their hand and saying, look, I'm here, I'm available. By the way, I've been sitting here for two years and I've never played more than five minutes a game. I mean, it's one thing if we're talking about, like, I'm, you know, I'm an NBA prospect, right? right? And I'm like, you know, I'm suddenly on the bench and I'm not getting minutes, you know, I'm trying to get some form of, you know, reasonably high level professional contract. I think it doesn't have right. to be NBA. Right. University of Montana does not produce a ton of professional basketball players. Correct. Uh, Not at the NBA level. You know, like, what are they hoping to get to? Is that the mentality? Is I just got to keep playing? Like, I don't understand. Um, I understand the objective, like, maybe in high school. Let's say five. There's like a bunch of of scholarships. Okay, I can maybe get one of those. But now the the funnel narrows so tightly. And it's like, you know, I I would have assumed at some point as you move down the ladder of Division I programs – I'm here to go to school and then I get to play basketball and that's fun. There's a combination of factors. The one that I've always agreed with that I think if the coach leaves, they should be able to leave Yeah, because they committed to that staff, that staff Mm -hmm. recruiting. The the university didn't go recruit that young man and bring them a thousand miles from home in a community that they probably went through some sort of culture shock. You're not going to just stay. That's Mm -hmm. not going to happen. And I don't think that that's fair. So, so there's a small percentage there. It's a very small percentage, but, but there's a small percentage there that I, I, I think that's such a good transfer. I think there's a young man, we've had one of those probably about every two, three years, that gave us two or three years of, of his time, did all the things that you asked him to do, went to school, got good grades, stayed out of trouble, that walks in your office and says, I've got one more year of eligibility. I've got two more years of eligibility. I just want to go somewhere where I can play. I think that's a good transfer. I, you know, okay, we had a young man from Montana that walked in my office and said, Coach, look me in my eye and tell me I'm going to play. That guy you're behind right now is pretty good. And he goes, I agree, Coach. And and so I, I, I think I want to go to this school for my last season. I said, all right, here's the deal. Don't graduate. Take enough classes to be eligible. You're a Grizz. Come back here. We'll pay for your education. He was on our bench as a as a as an undergrad manager in 2017-18 when we won a championship. He ends up with a championship ring. He has an NC2A experience. Mm-hmm. 
he has a diploma that his mother is going to be excited about on her mantle, right? I think that's a good transfer. There's a small group of those. The ones that we're referring to are the ones that they were the best player on their high school team. All these coaches called and made all these promises. I'm going to get you to the NBA. I'm going to develop you into this. And you're going to score 20 points a game and play 35 minutes a game. And he ends up at a school and those things don't happen. And those are a lot of the ones that are walking out the door with no conversation that they feel like you've done them wrong. And then you have a small portion, 10% that are not at a high major level that still think they're NBA players that are transferring because this isn't getting them to the NBA. So there's a combination. Half of them are not handling it very well or are not realistic with how they're handling it and what they're looking for. And then there's a small percentage that are, but we don't talk about them very much because everybody's scorned by the other group. And and how could we expect them to handle it well in college when they haven't learned how to solve their own problems? Right. When I used to teach uh, a class when I was in graduate school, we used to spend a day, it evolved, it started to something different, but it became such a great discussion, which was, you know, I was teaching at Harvard and I used to post the kids at what age do you want to find out where you are in the distribution? Mm-hmm. In this case, I was mm-hmm. academic, but in this, and what you're talking about is athletic, right? Mm-hmm. And I've got kids from all over the country, right? I got kids from Manhattan who had to go through the eighth grade testing system to see if they could get into Bronx Science or Stuyvesant or, mm-hmm. you know, was it Brooklyn Tech or something or whatever, the, whatever yeah. the third one is, right? And, you know, they had to deal with it as eighth graders. And they're like, you know, and I'm from a small town. I didn't have to deal with it until I went to graduate school, really, right? But, you know, at some point you have to confront where you are in the distribution, right? And what it seems like maybe we've created with the transfer portal is an attempt to try and avoid confronting that, you know, and not having to accept that, okay, this is where I am. And then have the the hard question with is, is that, is there something I can change, right? Is there work that I can do to move myself up? Is this a limit on me or is this like, you know, is this my, you know, look, I went to graduate school. I saw my ceiling and I saw how far down that distribution went, right? I was like, oh, wow. Yeah. There's people that are way, I thought I was a smart guy. Right. I am not a smart guy in this pool. It's uncomfortable, right? But you have to go through this experience. And it seems like part of what youth sports used to do is it forced you to confront it in the high school level. In our remaining time though, if there's a listener or some parents out there that have, you know, that is either participating in this program or or the system or has children in the system, like given where it is today, like we're not going to solve that problem in this conversation. Travis, what advice would you give to a young person trying to navigate that or the parents of a young person trying to navigate that to to avoid some of the pitfalls that we've discussed here? We, we've got to let our kids figure it out. In a perfect world for me, my daughter would have loved basketball. She doesn't love it. And and I think that sometimes we make early decisions for our kids before they've even come close to figuring out what they love. If they don't love it, they'll never excel. It doesn't matter what talent they have. And so you have to find ways to allow them to figure it out. And we protect our kids because society has changed a lot from where it was in the, in the 70s, 80s in terms of safety and, and all those things. I understand that. But but we still have to find a way to let them figure out what, what they love, what they're good at, and what they want to do. And, and that's on and off the court. I, I think that what they learn through athletics or extracurricular activities have a lot to do with who they will become outside of those things. And if we don't allow that to happen, 
you're going to have a 30, 35 year old that's not sure about who they are. Fellas, sobering conversation, but some actionable insights for listeners. Thank you both for being here today. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Justin. Thanks for listening to A New Angle. We really appreciate it. And we're coming to you from Studio 49, a generous gift from UM alums Michelle and Lauren Hansen. A New Angle is presented by First Security Bank, Blackfoot Communications, and the University of Montana College of Business. With additional support from Consolidated Electrical Distributors, Drum Coffee, and Montana Public Radio. Keely Larson is our producer. VTO, Jeff Amet, and John Wicks made our music. Editing by Nick Mott. Social media by AJ Williams. And Jeff Neese is our master of all things sound. Thanks a lot and see you next time.